Ed. I'm Aaron. And this week uh, we're going to follow up with a, another album I know both of us have been jonesing to talk about. This is uh, uh, White Lion's Pride. Oh, killer record. Yeah. And uh, we'll be gushing soon enough about the genius of Vino, Vito Brada. I can't believe I almost call him Vino like he's wine, but like <laughs> Vito, Vito Brada. <laughs> His name does come up in my notes kind of a lot uh-huh. about when we talk about this album. So, yeah, that's going to be a thing. <laughs> and uh, doing some uh, research for this, uh, it was fun to go back and listen to the record again and then just dig into it a little bit. I realized I did not know much about the production of this album and some of the people involved with it. Um, I, I didn't know this. Pride is actually the second White Lion album. I always thought it was their debut. I thought they just came out swinging and that was it, but that's not the case. Nope, nope. It was a Fight to Survive, and it's from like 85, I believe it is. And it kind of, at least over here, kind of came and went. Didn't make any sort of impression. Uh, I can't even say that I've even actually heard that album. I haven't heard that album either. I I saw that it was on Spotify when I was like, you know, once I discovered that it existed, <laughs> and I read a little bit about it, and it sounds like the record company um, originally did not want it to come out. They were they were they weren't all that impressed with it either, and it, and it took them months to finally like make the decision, pull the trigger, and put the record out. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the origins of White Lion. Uh, Mike Tramp is uh, the lead singer for the for the group. He's from Denmark, um, and he was a teen idol in Denmark, which is kind of an interesting thing. All this weird background stuff. Um, he was in a band called Mabel, which released five albums when he was very young. And uh, Mabel won the Dan- the Danish Song Contest and got to represent Denmark in the Eurovision contest in 1978. Uh, for those who don't know what Eurovision is, it's it's a big deal over in Europe. Still every, goes to this day. Yeah, every year, uh, you know, a country in Europe they nominate who's going to represent them, and they have a big sort of festival where everybody competes and like you know shows this is the best entertainment our com- our country has to offer, kind of stuff. Um, and so one year, Mike Tramp's band Mabel got to participate in that. Um, uh, after that, uh, the band moved to Spain, and they became a band called Studs, released one album, and then they moved to New York City. So these guys are like world travelers, and uh, they became Danish Lions was the name of their band. Oh, I love a good Danish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and things didn't work out, and the whole band decided to return to Spain, but Mike Tramp stayed in America, and which is where we come across Vito Brada. <laughs> we get to Vito. Yep. He met Vito Brada, and they formed White Lion. Um, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, I also learned in doing research for this, Mike Tramp has had a huge career outside of White Lion. He has 11 solo albums. He's got live albums. He's got a box set. There's a- oh, absolutely. I, I read about the box set when it came out. And I mean, in fact, I remember back in the day, uh, there's a little venue down in Des Moines that used to be called House of Bricks. Mm-hmm. And in their old location out yeah. on um, Merle Hay Road... Oh, yeah. I uh, that. When you went into that place, if you looked on the back wall, there was a drum head that said Mike Tramp's White Lion that he had signed. Oh, wow. Because they had played okay. at the House of Bricks. Dang. So, yeah, we could have seen Mike Tramp that would have been play something to in see. a shoebox, and that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Didn't know. But there was no veto, so, you know, you, it's, it's, you know yeah. it's a trade-off. Yeah. Uh, and Vito is, he, I, from what I've read, he was uh, he was the quiet one. It was sort of like distant from the band a little bit. I think he he's sort of like a shy guy is the impression I got. Um, and he, More on that later. Yeah, he he didn't really do a lot of like interviews and things like that. Um, he kind of he's basically retired from music, from what I understand, and he he kind of vanished. He has. Uh, there's been some. Uh, 
he's talked a little bit to uh, Eddie Trunk, the the radio yeah. personality. Uh-huh. If you can find it the, the, on YouTube, there's like a two hour interview he does uh-huh. with Vito in, from like yeah. 2007. And it's yeah. one of the last major ones he did, but he keeps up with, he talks about some of the things that went on and he's never like expressly ruled out music. I just don't yeah. think he's terribly enamored of the, the music machine, the uh, industry part of it. Yeah. And he, and there was a bit about how his, his father was ill. And so for five years, he kind of took care of his father and that kind of took him off the grid, um, you know, both emotionally and financially taking care of his dad and he injured his wrist. And he, he said that ele- playing electric guitar hurts him, um, but he still plays like classical stuff and, uh, you know, more acoustic based music and things. Um, and he still says that he hasn't ruled out uh, a white lion reunion, but it really seems incredibly unlikely at this point. And, uh, um, and, and it just doesn't seem like there's been a lot of interest. And, and he, uh, I also learned that he, uh, he has the rights to the catalog. He was the primary songwriter in White yep, Lion. So yep. of their four albums, he, he holds the keys to that. And so whenever Mike Tramp would go out and say, like, look, I'm White Lion, Vito Brado would say, like, uh, excuse me, no, you're not. And Well, yeah, because they had a – there was a, 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 a new album that he had recorded, like, as White Lion at one point. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Return of the Pride – yeah, it's sort of a no, no, no. You can't do that, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> you are not white lion. You do not hold the keys to the kingdom. And uh, I also learned that after uh, White Lion broke up, Mike Tramp tried to replace Vito, but no one was willing to do it for the longest time because he is such big shoes to fill. Yep. It, it turns out uh, amongst guitar players, uh, I mean, I've always loved his guitar playing and thought he was up there and wondered why he wasn't considered more in the pantheon of guitar players and stuff. But uh, the impression I'm getting is that amongst guitar players who know what he did, uh, he's incredibly w- well-respected. Uh, um, Mike Tramp tried to put together a band with Warren Martini and with Paul Gilbert. And those <laughs> I are, those saw are, that and both of them those, said no. And both of them said no because they're like, no, Vito's too good. We can't, you know. That's, I mean, yeah, when Paul Gilbert's backing away from your stuff, man, I don't know how much cooler of an endorsement you get. (laughs) (laughs) So he's a hell of a musician and, uh, you know, and I think it was a lot of like the songwriting chops that they they steered clear of too. If they could, you know, imitate his guitar playing, um, you know, the songwriting part they didn't want to be involved with. And I think part of that after listening to uh, Pride kind of getting ready for this um, podcast, I mean, when I would listen to the songs, the, the Vito plays all the way through the songs. He's not playing. Yeah, he, he doesn't tend to sit like – there's not a lot of just – I don't know what you call regular rhythms. There's right, always, yeah. He's always he's, he's doing moving. something just – it's, nuts underneath it. It's you constant know? movement the entire time throughout the songs. And so, like, you know, and by the end of like listening to it, I was even more impressed than, you know, because I haven't listened to it for a few years. Um, but like, he's just moving around the whole time with it. You know, he's not just hitting a straight rhythm the whole time. He's doing these cool little fills and um, landing on the root and, of the note and then like keep playing through and stuff like that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really incredible, but it like, it fits the song too. So it's like, oh, yeah, he's tasteful about it. Um, it's 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 it doesn't ever feel like it's excessive and yeah. it's always woven in really well and that's probably just as much the producer's work as yeah. anybody too so you know yeah. he he didn't go out of his way to highlight the whole uh veto to any great extreme during the verses in a in speaking of production a nice little bit of continuity the producer of this album was michael wagner who uh, who we gushed about in our previous episode as so <laughs> yep uh, a lot of the uh, stats that we would throw out about what michael wagner here you can yeah. totally hear on the previous episode yeah the fun thing that i noticed is the guy who was like his uh production or his engineering assistant 
uh-huh. is a guy named Garth Richardson. And I knew that name because he was one of the producers who worked on the Melvin's Houdini. And mm. I believe he produced Melvin's Stoner Witch. And he, he did a Jesus Lizard record. Wow. And then um, uh, Testament's Low, their 1994 album. Yeah. So he's produced like a whole bunch of records that I really liked a lot. And I saw that name. I'm like, is that really the same guy? Cause he's always listed as Garth on the, yeah. on the, on the nineties credits. And yeah, I looked into it and that is the guy. So that's, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. The, he's got quite the little list of production credits to him too. Yeah, and I read that he, uh, the reason he got that name is cause he has a bit of a stutter. And so, uh-huh. so, he, so he introduced, he actually is, he, that's how he says his name. And so that he just went with it and decided that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a, a a little bit of a story on our way to Pride that uh, while they were they're trying to release their first album, uh, Fight to Survive, uh, their bassist and drummer left, and they were replaced by Anthrax's drummer, Greg D'Angelo, and Dave Spitz, who was the brother of Anthrax guitarist Dan Spitz. But within the first month, though, uh, uh, Dave Spitz left to go play with Black Sabbath, which is a pretty you can you can you can understand. You have this up and coming yep. band. That, that was right at the time yeah. that uh, uh, um, Geezer Butler had left Sabbath to go back and play with Ozzy's band. I think that's the time. Well, no, that's just a little bit early in that timeline. But uh, uh, he Dave because uh, yeah, Sabbath would have been doing like Eternal Idol era. I think when you get to where Dave Spitz was with Sabbath, you know you can't blame the guy. I mean, here you are in this band that just just made their first record that right. sank like a stone. Right, And yeah. now all of a sudden, ooh, I can go play with Black Sabbath? Cool, see yeah. you later. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really odd connection. I never would have made a connection between Anthrax and White Lion. <laughs> no, no, so, but I don't know. It's such, one of those such things. Such is the rock world. <laughs> there's a lot of weird ones like that when you start when you start tracing things. I mean, one of the guys in, in White Lion, as we were talking about yeah. before we turned the mics on, is a drummer by the name of Bjorn T. Holm, who's a fellow Dane, uh, uh, and he played with merciful fate so mm-hmm. that's a little bit different than white lion uh Definitely. <laughs> i would say a smidge more uh satan um and fewer just lions for sure satan. just a, just a touch of satan <laughs> just a touch of satan makes a real difference mm-hmm. um and before they and before we get to pride they were also in one of my favorite movies when i was a child they were in the money pit yeah in a really awesome scene Who's the entire dialogue of that scene? If I really sat here and thought about it, I could probably rattle it off. But we're not going to do that. That would be straying too far. Yeah, that is a pretty weird connection to have them be in, in a Tom Hanks movie, but you know, right bef- before they're famous, even. And they have a they, and they have a fictional female member in the yep. band at the <laughs> time, which dances <laughs> around during the video because it, it like takes place where you see him. You see him in like a video shoot where where Tom Hanks's character is uh, settling accounts with like the manager of their band, and then you see him again at the end of the movie during the big uh, Tom Hanks Shelley Long wedding scene. They're like the the wedding band or some such thing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, but during the bass player shakeup uh, after uh, Dave Spitz left to go and be in Sabbath, he was replaced by James Lomenzo, who is no slouch on the bass. Uh, he's not somebody I was familiar with before, but uh, um, reading about like all his accolades, he's played with Megadeth and like tons of Zach Wild projects. He played with David Lee Roth and ended up with. Uh, Playing in John Fogarty's band of all things, which which you know that's got to be a good gig. Um, that's steady you know. work right there. And uh, and another bit of continuity played with the Lynch Mob with George Lynch, who was in our previous episode on Dawkins. 
He was on uh, George Lynch made two mm-hmm. epi- made two albums with that Michael Sweet, the singer of Striper, and yeah. James Lomenzo is their bass player on that too. I read about that, and at first I thought <laughs> I was like, "Wow, Matthew Sweet." <laughs> George Lynch. Yeah, no, it's it's. <laughs> but no, Michael no, Sweet from Striper, Michael different, sweet. different Sweet brother, a little bit different. <laughs> and uh, James Lomenzo is also a graphic designer, a photographer, and was a contestant on The Amazing Race. So I think, like, at some point, oh, we could... I missed The Amazing Race. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's that's pretty oh, nuts. I, it sounds like we could do a whole episode just on this guy. Um, part of the fun of like you know doing research for for the podcast so far has been learning how there are people out there who who have like so many credits and have done so many things in their lives, um, and they just happen to be playing on some of these records that we've loved. And, and so many of those credits seem to be so odd and like at odds with the band that you see them in. And it's like okay, maybe they you know everybody all does sort of like the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, just wouldn't, float between the same bands. You know, I wouldn't have guessed the connection between White Lion and John Fogarty. <laughs> Yet here we are. Here we are. <laughs> And I see that he performed on the Diamond Dave album from David Lee Roth's band, which is cool because that means he played on the same album as uh, John Five. Oh, nice. Which was the first album. I think that's the first album uh, that John Five did with David Lee Roth. Is Diamond? It's either Diamond Dave or DLR band. It's it's one of the yeah. two, and I kind of get those two mixed around as to when they came out. But so yeah, just a fun side note is yeah, he played with John Five. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when when White Lion went out on the Pride tour, uh, when they put it out, they had no hits or anything like that yet. It was just they put the record out and they were going for it. Um, but they must have had some sort of some sort of connections or something because they they were opening for Freely's Comet, the Ace Freely band, uh, when they first started out. And then uh, seven months into the tour, um, the song Wait became a huge hit for them. Um, and they started selling albums like crazy. The album this is back in the day where things like that could happen. Yeah. You could put out an album in 87 uh-huh. and it would, like, wouldn't take off. Six months later, you're well into you know 88 and you're on the road and suddenly one of your songs hits and then you can end up like having singles yeah. released for two freaking years. You just you don't get that anymore. I mean, No, you wouldn't plan a tour unless you had a hit probably right. like mm-hmm. that. Uh, no one would want to tour with you probably. Yeah, but I I thought that was pretty cool touring with Ace Freely starting out, and then when I mean, when Wait hit as a song, they ended up opening for Aerosmith and Ozzy, Kiss and Striper, and then finally for ACDC towards the end of that of the tour for the album on Blow Up Your Video tour. Yeah, that's, which that's, is cool because it's so much better than the tour that would have been for the album before it. So that's good timing right there. Yeah. <laughs> you got to open for ACDC when they were back on the upswing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and during the course of this, uh, based on the strength of weight, and, and I think that was when Tell Me and uh, When the yep. Children Cry came out, um, too, they ended up selling like two million copies of that album, which is like, that's, you know, that's huge. It was huge. So then, many platinum records in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty nuts. Yeah. And I, see, I didn't realize that, well, because I was also really young when this album came out. I mean, yeah. I had I, I had been seven for a grand total of I've been seven years old for a grand total of three weeks when this album yeah. came out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't see the video for Wait until after I saw the video for When the Children Cry. Oh, that was yeah. like the first the first song I heard by them. Uh, and honestly, that one didn't do as much for me at first. It wasn't until I heard Wait that I was kind of like, oh, dude, this this band's pretty cool, you know, and dug a little further in. Yeah, and it, it came out for me when I was uh, just the transition from high school to college, uh, which is prime metal years for me. I was like right when, right during the cusp of it when I was like really excited about about all this stuff and uh, was buying guitar magazines and Vito Brado was in them and you could read, find transcriptions of uh, all of his guitar work and stuff. And I would look at it and it would just be like just bunches of numbers and little squiggles like in rapid fire succession. Oh, and, I like, can't and, imagine yeah. trying to look at his like. Yeah, I, was like, I, yeah, I can't play that. that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. 
Yeah, and I really kind of, you know, Vito Brada basically is White Lion as far as I can tell. I mean, I mean, he wrote the songs and like, you know, and all of the, all of those songs are constructed with all those intricate guitar parts and stuff. Uh, Mike Tramp is a great singer and all that stuff, but like I think I, I really get the impression that Vito Brada is the heart and soul of White Lion. And, and It really, sure really seems that way. No insult to you, Mike Tramp. I like you. You're a good singer. Right, yeah. But uh, – I'm pretty yeah. These compositions outside of the outside of the lyrics are very much like uh, Vito's babies. It seems like yeah. And after they did they did four albums together and uh, kind of broke up. And Mike Tramp kept trying to use the White Lion name as we talked about before. Um, and eventually did get the rights to uh, uh, put out one album. Um, it's like Return of the Pride, I think it was. And uh, um, and it got real. It just got bludgeoned in reviews uh, that it. I mean, because you know there was no Vito Brada on it. It didn't sound like White Lion and. And so, they, and at that point, like even Mike Tramp said, there's no white lion anymore. He's, he doesn't. He's not interested in it. He, I think he retired to Australia, and he's he's still making music and stuff. But he's like just like a little more off the grid and tours somewhat, you know. And from what Mike Mike says, and this is weird. This was a thing that could happen in the in the '90s. Uh, they had two more albums after this, like in their main like uh-huh. run as a band. Uh, it was a big game, which is totally a yeah. badass album. That is a badass to. Album. It's great. Uh, uh, a little fighter, awesome uh, song. It is a great song. But um, after they did main attraction and toured it, they came off the road for the tour and they just didn't talk to each other again. When the band all left their separate ways after that, and apparently, like the label never called them at any point to see if they were going to do a new record. What was going oh, wow. on? They just stopped hearing from Atlantic altogether when they finished that tour. Wow, and that was just sort of it. So it's like a weird way to. Have yeah. everything come to an end, you know? Yeah. More more record label grist for the mill of uh Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of uh one of the things I wondered about, one of the things I got the impression about is it seems like uh they were just winding up as a band right when grunge hit. And they sort of blame uh grunge as being a little bit of like, you know, part of the reason their popularity sort of waned. Um I, I'm wondering, is that gonna be do you think that's gonna be something we're gonna see as a common theme throughout uh you know, while we, while we're reviewing hair metal it's albums? It's definitely possible, but there's a lot of those bands that don't that I honestly don't blame mm-hmm. the grunge movement because and they it sounds like a lot of the arguments that I've read in my time reading about all these bands, they just kind of say, hey, look, the the sound we were making, it just had its lifespan. Yeah. And we yeah. just, I mean, uh, some of, especially some of the bands that were on the first wave of like when hair blew up, like, you know, stuff like Motley Crue or like yeah. uh, uh, Poison and well, who I guess were a little bit later, but still they would all agree that, you know, by the end of the 80s, getting into mm-hmm. the 90s, you could kind of see that we had just sort of run our course as a, as a, as a movement or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe some of those bands were maybe a little on the intoxicated side and probably kind of pulled themselves apart a little bit, too. You know I mean? Like, yeah. Motley Crue were not the cleanest gentlemen on the planet. And, <laughs> uh, well, you know, honestly, uh, no. uh, old C.C. DeVille wasn't super squeaky clean either. And no. those caused problems, too, you know. So there was a whole bunch of stuff that fed into it. I mean, now, maybe White Lion felt like they were somehow... Yeah, different than the the hair rock stuff, and I guess that's kind of what we're trying to say in a way too. But at the same time, I was like, well, you are part of the movement yeah. too. At the same time, so you know, it's time just passed. A new thing came along. It happens to every genre. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it happened to grunge. <laughs> so <laughs> you you could argue that the whole grunge run was a lot shorter than the hair rock one because yeah, hair true. rock had a had like stuff on the airways for. Yeah, almost a decade, and, yeah. and grunge went, went a lot faster. <laughs> so let's let's talk about uh, the album itself, Pride. Yeah. Uh, I kind of went through. I know, kind of our our method is we go through, listen to it, make some notes on it. Um, we'll let's start with Hungry. 
Uh, and it, my my first note I said <laughs> after listening to the song I was like, basically every '80s rock band has this song on their record. Yeah. Uh, and can, then I actually said, arguably, uh, most other decades do too. I guess when you yeah. get right down to it. But, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hungry has some nice big metal riffs on it. Um, huge backing vocals, which is a staple of the '80s, and uh, and all of these in, right out of the gate. You hear like Vito Brada with all these fast little guitar runs in between, you know, verses and lyrics and stuff like that. You just say, "That's what I said." That solo is bonkers. <laughs> it's a pretty bonkers solo. Yeah, the guy does. I don't know the way he with those with. His solos are almost like another little verse of song because they're just so like yeah. lyrical and masterful. Yeah, it's like almost like he gets his little verse of the song. Almost <laughs> is how I feel about it. <laughs> and then uh, we go from hungry to lonely nights, uh, and this one um, maybe it's just the recency effect, but I thought this sounded like a Dawkins song. <laughs> well, and it's funny because it was produced by the same guy. Yeah. So Michael so, Wagner has a sound. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Lonely Nights sounded a lot like, you know, Alone Again or something like that. You know, I can totally hear that. Yeah. It's the same production value. Probably I actually, my note was Michael Wagner sure loves those big choruses. Yeah. <laughs> if you go, if you go listen to Under Lock and Key, it has that yeah. same like the chorus where all the voices sound like a million times bigger than everything right, else yeah. in the song. You're like, boom. You know, just think about yeah any any of the songs off there. <laughs> and uh, uh don't give up which is like you know a very uplifting message of course uh and it's very poppy but it's still rocking <laughs> it's totally rocking uh and what it's, it's it's one it's one of the songs i think where like the performances make it better than it right than, it than the actual is. material because like yeah my comment on it was this uh, sounds like a song that could be used for like a high school like training montage yeah, from like an <laughs> 80s movie <laughs> You know, lifting yeah. weights or something, running. Yeah, don't yeah, you can, give up. Don't give up. Yeah, you can totally see that. It's it's in there. Yeah. And this one has uh, another one of those signature great lyrical solos by Vito Brada. Um, let's let's take a listen to, to this one. Absolutely. And then next on the album we have "Sweet Little Loving," which is kind of, which is a kind of a groovy little blues riff, and it has another amazing solo in it. Um, My comment was, I'm guessing they didn't actually know the person they're writing about in this song. Right. <laughs> uh, it, once again, it's a song yeah. that's largely like the performance is what makes it so awesome. Because like mm-hmm. when you listen to it, it's like, oh, it's about a a, a lady of the evening. Yep. <laughs> and a lot of the lyrics themselves are very like. Yeah. What's every single stereotypical thing we could say about a lady of the evening? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, fortunately, once again, it sounds really good. Like the production has that cool Michael Wagner big production. And then you just sit back and listen to Vito and just go, wow. Yeah. Just how about that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of an excuse to get to Vito basically on some of that, which is another theme I think we're probably going to come across in some of our podcasts. There's a lot of the stuff where, like, uh, the, you know, the guitar player is kind of the band, you know, in a lot of ways. It was a big thing it, in the 80s. Yeah, it was a big know? thing in the 80s. Yeah. You thought he had to have a really dynamic front man. Occasionally yeah, you would hear yeah. about the awesomeness of a drummer, but there was decidedly fewer of those. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
and Tommy Lee being the, you know, one yeah, of the that's like the one I think of when you think of the world of Hair Rock, you hear about him. Yeah. Which is funny that nobody also talks about Rod Morgenstein in, in the world of Hair yeah. Rock as a great drummer, but that's yeah. another episode. And we'll yeah, get we're there. definitely going to get to him. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to Rod. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have Lady of the Valley, um, which is kind of a highlight of the record, I think. It's my favorite song on the first side. Yeah, it's uh, by like a lot. It's over six and a half minutes long, so it's the longest song on the record. Um, it has this great intro riff, um, which is just fast as snot, and it has an incredible guitar arrangement. There's all these layered guitars on it and stuff, and it has a, a very, very cool guitar solo. It has the most clever use of, like, the pick scrapies as an effective <laughs> yeah. solo. Because yeah, so many times you just get the little run or whatever, the yeah. or whatever, but his is just so, like... Yeah, actually, I didn't know you could be that good at doing pick scrape stuff. Like, what the yeah, hell, yeah, man? He's, he's very precise. It's, <laughs> it's almost like Vito Brada doing his version of what noise guitar would be, but like you know, of course, with incredible precision and not that long. But it's it's really experimental. Well, let's just let's just listen to it. Yeah, let's have some of this. <laughs> Also noted that it's only like the second time on the album we get a non uh, love and sex song. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Now, that's granted, true. that's still probably you know two out of five is probably still a higher batting average than a lot of the bands. Like <laughs> if, if, you know, but hey, I just I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, uh, and then we get into Wait, which is the big hit. And this is just like, you know, this is a great pop song. It's an amazing guitar solo in it again. This was the one that, uh, you know, when I heard that song, I was like, holy crap. It's got a really good structure to it. I like how it has the cool little acoustic intro. Uh And all their little acoustic intros, uh, once again, just sound just... Yeah. Boy, the, the, they they sound their the guitar sounds great. Whatever yeah. whatever they did to capture that acoustic guitar sound is cool. And then like how you have the little intro into the little dun 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 dun. Oh, yeah. it's a little that's ah, just cool. That's cool arrangement right there. I it like is. that. It's and a very well arranged like, song. Uh, the arpeggio that he plays during the chorus is awesome. Once again, oh, yeah. he's not just playing like the rhythm. Yeah. He's like playing this arpeggio yeah. all the way through the chorus. <laughs> and it's, it's badass. And it also has one of the shortest solos on the record. This song does. If you listen, oh, it's yeah. like, a, it's like an eight bar solo or something like that. It's like oh, wow. noticeably shorter than all the other ones. I didn't notice that, but yeah, it, it, it crams a lot into that short amount of time though. Yeah. Yeah. And that one we, we don't need to, no, we play that way. You've heard it a lot on already, the radio. If you're if you're like uh-huh. the sort of person who's probably going to listen to something like this, you uh-huh. probably know the song "Wait" already. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And after that is "All You Need Is Rock and Roll," 
which is a it's a pretty catchy song. That's that, the main note I wrote on this is catchy, but you know, but you probably do need more than rock and roll. My, yeah, mean, my first note was <laughs> all you need is rock and roll, but uh, probably also sleeping food, right? <laughs> yeah. And it has that little extra studio goofery at the beginning of the song where yeah. they sing a little bit of uh, what was that? Bebopalula, yeah, yeah, the Bebopalula. Who doesn't like Gene Vincent? Yeah, but, yeah, that was a nice little tip of the hat. Good job, White Lion. And then this has again more great guitar work throughout. And then uh, at the end, they uh, they kind of fade out on a blues vamp. So it's kind of weird to hear a metal band playing a blues vamp. I also noted it has a really weirdly chill solo for Vito. If yeah. the solo of this song is a lot like Tamer and almost mm-hmm. more like like a, like a conventional solo. Yeah. Although I do notice he did like some overdubbing of like some melody or some harmony guitars, which he doesn't yeah. usually do during a solo. So it's still unique. And my, the only other note I had about this song was, boy, the 80s sure loved their songs about affirmations, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, yes, they did. <laughs> that was a big thing. Uh, there was a whole lot of songs that were just yeah. like, you know, uh, motivational posters. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, we've got uh, the second single from the album, Tell Me. Um, I didn't remember this one as being a single, honestly. Uh, you know, I didn't either. I didn't hear it until later. Yeah, and so like that was kind of in- new information. But this one is a uh, it's a great song. It has another amazing lyrical guitar solo in it. Um, and and also what's kind of interesting, I think, is uh, um, in my head when I remembered listening to the cassette tape of this when it first came out, which is the format that I had it mm-hmm. on. Um, I remember the hits being on the at the beginning of the tape. Um, and so to find out like wait isn't until I mean these the, the singles aren't until side two. I, I made that I have that exact same <laughs> note. All the singles are on side two. Odd. Yeah, it's really weird. Which is crazy because, I mean, like, the opening track kind of sounds like it could have been, like, a big single, you know? Yeah, Actually, totally. a lot of these songs are written like they could... They all have yeah. the big hit single choruses to them, yeah. but, like... And my, my note on Tell Me is you can tell they were going for a big hit single on this one. There's just right. something about... Even in an album full of where, where, where you can tell they were driving to have any song potentially be one that could be released yeah. as a single, you can still tell the ones that kind of stick out as this was definitely like if they were to make a list of the five songs they wanted to definitely consider yep. for singles, there's no way this wasn't on that first list. <laughs> uh, yeah, great song there too. And then uh, All Join Our Hands, which speaking to your uh, positive <laughs> yeah, motivation <I'm>, poster. <laughs> this is another um, one that I said pretty sure every 80s rock band made this song. Yeah, it's, it's probably the most metal riff on the album. Um, I, I thought that that was like, it has the strongest metal riff, uh, but the whole song is just like this, it's very anthemic. It's just like, it's, you know, it's our anthem, you know, let's all join hands and you know, conquer the world and let's go. It just go. happens to be like a particularly expertly played version of that song. Because it right, still yeah. like has that, that wonderful arrangement to it but yeah, yeah when you get to like the lyrics it's like yeah everybody's great let's all hold hands and make it yeah, kumbaya yeah hands across <laughs> the world or some shit i don't know <laughs> and then we finally get to when the children cry which was the other big hit um you know don't really need to cover this one a whole lot i don't my whole, think my and, notes speak for themselves uh yeah yeah and it even fucking calls for a theocracy <laughs> yeah <laughs> When I was a child, I didn't really think about that. Listening yeah. to the song as an adult, I'm like, you know, that's a bad idea, right? Like, right. Yeah. I don't yeah. know about this. Yeah. Great it's, solo it's, in it and everything yeah, because you get solo. more more of our boy, but yeah. For, but and he and that that main guitar part almost sounds, especially the intro, sounds like a classical guitar thing, which is like so that's that's pretty cool and it gives it a different feel. But, he does have a really yeah. good use of his little harmonics that he puts in there and everything, but yeah, there's nothing like listening to the whole album and realizing that the big hit single is like. 
kind of like maybe the 10th best song on the album. Right, yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, the, the lyrics are a little bit weak. There's, I mean, there's a couple interesting things on there where they, they, they're, tell, they're you, know, you know, the children are crying basically because we fucked up the world and they have well, to right. rebuild it, you know, which I thought was like, you know, it, it could be a song about climate change, you know, if you it bring could it. happen now. Yeah, that, if you could bring it into the present. The, the, the lyrics themselves, you could totally take them out of this song and put them in something else and have it still apply and everything. Yeah. And just some of the, once again, it's all back to, there's just some cool guitar moves in it, but still, eh, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's not like a big one for me anymore. No, no, it, it would be, the, I'm glad it's the last song on the album because it's easy to skip. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and that exhausts my notes on the song by song for it, but yeah. I, mean, I would tell everybody, yeah, you should. I mean, now in the world of streaming, it's not it's so much easier just to listen to something. You don't even have to go buy it if you don't want, but you should That's totally right. listen to this record. Yeah. I mean, that, I like it enough that I sought out a, a record of it. But yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's bring in our special guest. All right. Our special guest this time is Dean Erickson. Uh, Dean's a good friend of ours who uh, he plays in some local bands, uh, Obsidian Stream, Generic and the Off Brands, um, and has been kind of a staple of the Ames musical music scene for for a long time now. How's it going, Dean? Really good. How are you guys? <laughs> Doing pretty Doing good. good. We're, uh, we're impressed that you were uh, willing to give this one a spin for us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for being here. Not everybody's uh, super psyched to um, listen yeah. to the yeah. to the you know the the hairier, more Aquanetti end yeah. of the eighties. Uh. Yeah, and and once again, as we said last time, uh, you know we, we want to have diverse opinions on on our podcast. We don't want everybody to come on here necessarily and say like, oh, I love this album; it's so great. So we 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 knew Dean wasn't experienced necessarily with uh, with White Lion's Pride album, so. Right when yeah when you guys asked me to check this album out I was like, I was like oh man I don't know um, <laughs> then I listened to the first line as baby baby you look so fine and I was like oh man I don't think I can do this but then I listened to it <laughs> and I listened to it again and I really got to like the album a lot I liked the um, the guitar player um, just really I don't every oh. it's just every note he played was great on the, the whole thing I thought yeah he's um, one of those genius guitar players r- rhythmic and soaring and then all the acoustic stuff that comes in um yeah i just really i think i'll listen to it just for fun sometime for sure wow i feel like that's some sort of like it's almost like a testimonial like (laughs) yeah that's a lot (laughs) under lock and key did not go that way yeah Yeah, while in the the background preparing for this, uh, I was playing uh, Pride, and Rachel heard that one. She was our guest last time and was saying how much she did not like Doc and uh, wear hair metal in general. And uh, and so she was saying, like, you know, she goes, oh, this is terrible. And uh, and I was like, I was like, yeah, but listen to Vito Brada. Isn't he a great guitar player? And she was just like, wheelie, 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 wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's like, it sounds, sounds like masturbation to me. And, and so she, she, we're not going to win her over on this one, I don't think. He, he sounds like a lot of guitar players that are. Or just like you know, like yeah, kind of silly. But he is, yeah. It was just I can't describe it. It's, I yeah, really he, enjoyed every note he played. Yeah, he does that hammer on stuff, that tapping thing that Eddie Van Halen does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. he, I would argue he's actually more even like you know we, we use the word lyrical a lot when yeah. we're, we're talking about it. It's just very very tasty. You know, it, there is a lot of notes going on there and stuff. But it seems like he's more you know well constructed in his playing than what a lot of the, the other players are. Um, yeah, the only song I think I really was familiar with was the Children Cry one, I think. is Was there another? Wait was the other big Wait. single off of it. Okay. 
Yeah. When the Children Cry, though, is the most common one. I mean, yeah, that, that that's what I was it. thinking when you guys mentioned yeah. this album. I was like, yeah. that album. But, yeah, the power ballads are always like the ones that, like, you know, <laughs> that made the, that sold the album, but are always yeah. the ones, if you listen to the whole album, it's the one you, you want to skip every single yeah. time. <laughs> it's a good one at the end of, end of the album, though, I thought. Yeah, 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 I liked it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, what uh, have you listened to much hair? What's, what's your history with hair metal? Um, just. You know, I don't, do you count Guns N' Roses? Is that or is that a little different? That's not kind of, kind of. not exactly. I, mean, I was yeah. they're they're a lot more straight ahead rock and roll as far as right. I'm concerned. But yeah, yeah. Motley Crue maybe. Um, yeah, but um, anything that I guess I like the Cinderella album a little bit. Oh, um, cool, nice. Um, yeah, and then um, what else? We're, we're big fans maybe, of Tom Kiefer here. Maybe so. Rat. <laughs> Yeah, no, right. I just don't didn't listen to a bunch of it. I had a friend who was totally into it, and I was like, eh, you know, I'd listen to the Police and stuff. I was like, I want to, you know, in eighth grade or whatever. Yeah. And he was all into that, so I got heard some of it. I like some of it, and other metal, I like, you know, Metallica and all that stuff. And um, I don't know. I've are you a Metallica fan? Yeah, and I've kind of learned to like the even faster, harder stuff. Uh, you gave me some good recommendations, Aaron. Uh-huh. Um, but um, hair metal, um, yeah, I really don't have that much. Uh, so I was glad yeah. you. Showed me an example of yeah. really good in the genre. <laughs> oh yeah, because I mean, you know, like any other, there's there's yeah. a lot of the, of stuff that that I've gone back to to try to give the old listen right. to, and it's been rough, right. and I didn't <laughs> make it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of the whole theme of our show. Basically, is like there's some some of it is is really good stuff, and it's worth going back and reclaiming yeah, a little bit, and, and some and a lot of it's not too. So I mean, there are there are bad examples of it, but. Would you call Molly Crew hair metal, or is that a little more outside uh, glam? I I do. I mean, yeah. And what they do is just, I mean, you can you can see it in a line from like, from like the Dolls to Motley Crew. It's not like yeah. a big leap or anything. Right. Yeah, they're, they're they're the glam portion of it. Um, and I think I think even White Lion is considered glam a little bit. They're, yeah, they're, they're more on the metal side of glam. Well, but. it's weird because you have to wonder how much of that was like. There's probably a lot of these bands that once they got signed to a label, the label's like, All right, we got to get a look for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a yeah. thing that happened, like, a lot. We're going to, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Why don't you be a little more like this, you know? And, yeah. It's the same reason money. that Badlands didn't do well, because they weren't a hair band, and they were trying yeah. to be marketed as one, so it didn't sell well. It <laughs> yeah. connect with people, and it's like, well, yeah, because you were trying to make it something it isn't. I just wonder, you know, what band's, like, willingness mm-hmm. to go along with that or not. Right. Now, I know Crew came up with a lot of their own stuff, at least as far as they tell the tale. Yeah, yeah but and yeah, they but, came out of that same era too, which is kind of like what I, I I tend to lump them in just by the era, which is you know part of the fun. It was like right. piecing them back out again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like my Motley Crew, but I want to try to sit down and listen to the whole album of it. I have trouble getting through it, but uh, I. Yeah. Hey, I was a big Motley Crue fan as a kid, and nowadays, if it's after the second album, I just can't do it as a whole album. Yeah, the first two <laughs> love them, and then after that, it's just so, yeah. I sit there and listen to Girls, 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 and go, "How did I listen to this as a kid? Just all the way through, over and over. This is no, I'm sorry." And Motley Crue's a band I've never liked. I just, I they never. There's something about uh, Vince Neil's voice that just really has always rubbed me the wrong way. I've never gone through my Crue phase because I haven't really. Yeah. You know, oh boy, did I have a big one of those! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of people did. I oh mean, yeah, for sure, yeah. it was huge. No, the numbers don't lie. A lot of people had a crew face, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a long yeah. string of platinum records yeah. they have. Well, Just and lots of people whose musical taste I really respect. Uh, well, like yours, Aaron. I mean, like I you know, love the have gone through the crew and love the crew, and I just it never clicked with me for some reason. Hell, they well, and honestly, uh, to this day, I'll defend they made that one album without Vince Neil singing. It's awesome. That really? album kicks butt, and it's. 
the way it got slagged when it came out, but for like reasons that are really weird. Like they said, like, oh, you know, it's them trying to be a grunge band. It's like, no, it isn't. It really isn't. That's not an accurate assessment. Uh, they were yeah. just trying to be kind of like a straight ahead rock band. And, yeah. and they finally had a guy who had like this tough voice who also played rhythm guitar. So Mick could really like yeah. wail away. And it was a good record. It just wasn't what it was supposed to be for anybody. <laughs> Except yeah. for like a couple of us who were like, no, I hear this. This is great. <laughs> nice. I've never listened to that. Have you ever been to a hair metal show, Dean, of any kind? Um, oh, closest thing is probably Kiss, I guess. I don't know. I don't, that's not really. A, they not did, they kind of had a hair phase, though. Yeah. I would argue, like from from you know, like Lick It Up uh, through like Crazy yeah, that, Nights. Yeah. It was that's when I saw them. Yeah, Lick It Up. You know. Yeah. That. What was it like? Um, it was fun. My it was my same friend that was in you know all the hair metal stuff, and he oh, okay. kind of drug me there, and, and we had a good time. Um. I guess I saw that. What is that cover band? Hair, hairball. It yeah. was all right. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I don't think I've. I don't think I've seen. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of that stuff. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of it either. Yeah, I, I, I saw Motley yeah. Crue in two thousand five. So yeah. I mean, it was like a later era. Yeah. Although it was really cool because they did <laughs> they did two sets in the first set. They didn't play anything uh-huh. later than Shout at the Devil, and then the next set was like uh-huh. everything after that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. well, I mean, we saw Skid Row. Yeah, Skid Row. Although they're kind of later and not quite as hair rocky as maybe some of the stuff before it. They're that a first, little bit that first Skid Row. The album first, counts, the so. first one's pretty hair rock. The second one's not, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we saw them yeah. open for, for Queensrÿche, who are decidedly yeah. not hair rock. Right. Yeah. Uh, I saw Mr. Big. I'd, I'd, I'd like I'd like to do a Mr. Big episode at some point too because I think that's got... one of the ones we talked about at the yeah. get go. Yeah, I got to see them once, and that was an interesting show. It was like just culturally different than most of the shows I'd been to, and the and the opening band was uh, um, Neil Sean's band at the time. I don't even remember the name of the band. It was something called like Eclipse or Ellipse or something like that. I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> but he, you could tell that they were like uh, some young hair metal guys. And Neil Sean, because <laughs> they all like t- got together on one side of the stage and were like, you know, rocking out together. And Neil Sean was like the guy over on the other side of the stage, and so he was like the lonely, you know, star guy. See, that's a guy I've never got into anything he's done. No, he's a really good guitar player. Yeah, and it's yeah. great to hear him play. But yeah, there's some great Journey guitar stuff out there. Journey. I I don't like hate Journey or anything. It's yeah. just. I went through yeah. a small journey phase. I, I thought they were pretty good. Because well, it's one of those bands that's made up all though. those like just wizardy at their instruments yeah. players. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, like like, like if there players. was like, like yeah like a seventies winger that was like more popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> journey is just although 70s I actually winger. like wingers, so there's so it's weird and different. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, listening to this album. Thanks guys for introducing well, it. Thanks to for me. coming yeah. for it, man. We yeah, appreciate thanks for listening, it. coming in. All right. All right, that was Dean Erickson. Uh, We'll see you next time on Hair Metal Memories. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.